we are in week, our last week of Famous Last Words. We spent the first four weeks of this series looking at the words of Christ on the cross. And then on Easter Sunday, we looked at the words of the angel at the tomb. Then last week, we reviewed the last words that our Savior spoke on this earth before he ascended to heaven. And as I was thinking through this series, I thought, you know, it's such, so close in the time frame, but let's look at the last words of the first martyr recorded in Scripture. And it's some fascinating words that we'll see here from, from Stephen. But before we get there, let me give you just a little bit of background of what's happened in the early church from the time that our, of our last passage last week where Christ rose back to heaven and ascended to heaven, I should say, and up until this point in our story in Acts chapter 7. After the ascension of Christ, the Holy Spirit came upon those apostles, those believers. We had the time that Scripture talks about Pentecost, where 3,000 people came to know Christ as their Lord and Savior, and the church just exploded. It exploded there in Jerusalem to the point where the apostles, they could not minister to everyone because so many people were coming to faith in Christ. And so what they, they, they said, we, well, there's, there's no way we can keep preaching and teaching the Word of God and also ministering to the thousands of people now that are followers of Christ. So we need help. We need those that will help, help with feeding the poor, taking care of the widows, waiting on the tables at the Lord's Supper. We need help with all of this. And one of the other things that was so unique about this period of time is, if you remember back during the Passion Week, whenever we were looking at those passages of Scripture, a lot of times it was the religious people were the ones that were so you know, crucify him. We're so against Christ. But now at this point in our story in Acts, we see tons of priests, Jewish priests that were active in the crucifixion of Jesus who are now becoming followers of Christ, which is just, it's an amazing part of this story. And so we're going to see here, starting in Acts um, chapter 6, verse 7, this will be where we pick it up this morning. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So, you know, they, they, Stephen, this individual that, that the Luke tells us, is, has lots of conversions of Jews to Christians. And this begins to create an uproar in Jerusalem. And Stephen gets called before the religious leaders of his day, kind of like what happened to Jesus and the other priests to answer for what he's doing. And he preaches a sermon. It's the longest recorded sermon in Acts, in Acts chapter 7. We're not going to read it all this morning. Um, and that sermon, it makes two major points in his sermon. He said, Israel, you have always resisted the prophets that God has sent to you. If you look down all throughout the Old Testament, what happened? The, the, the Israelites always rejected God's prophet. He said, what you did with Jesus is no different than what you've done with all of your prophets. You always reject them. Then he tells them, your law cannot save you because you've never been able to keep it. We know that the law is, it, we, we're all imperfect. There's no way that we can keep that law. And it can't give you, the law cannot give you a new heart. Only Christ can do that. But we're going to look at the last section of this passage. He's bold. He's on trial here, standing before the religious leaders of his day. And this is what he tells them in Acts chapter 7, verse 52. He said, you stiff-necked people, 
uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. It's almost like he's saying, you want the truth? You cannot handle the truth. It's, you know, he's, you know, it's almost like he was the uh, Top Gun before there's a Top Gun message here is what he, he was saying. Let's keep reading here. Verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Here again, we have this, this theme of priest emerging. You see, in Israel, only the priest could enter God's glory. And that happened once a year inside the temple. That was a part of the, Jude, the, uh, the Judaistic religion. Through a special you know, ceremony where they would purify themselves before they would go before God. But now Stephen stands here before them as he's being interrogated. And he says that he sees the heavens open in front of me. He's not a priest. He's not even an apostle. He's just a regular dude. And he's standing here. Let's keep reading. Verse 56. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Interesting little detail there, isn't it? I love this part in verse 58. Watch our clothes. You know, why would they, why would Luke record this for a young man named Saul that he's just going to watch the clothes of the people doing the stoning? Very strange. But in a couple chapters, what you're going to see is God is going to take this young man named Saul, who is a persecutor. He's really a murderer of Christians. He's going throughout Israel seeking followers of Jesus to murder them. And God's going to take this young man named Saul and he's going to transform his life. And he's going to later change his name to what we know as the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of our New Testament. One of the biggest influences in his life was watching what they did to Stephen and the words that came out of Stephen's mouth that we're going to read here. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, here's his famous last words, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When they had said this, he fell asleep. Man, as he's being stoned, he's asking the Lord not to hold this sin against them. It, it just blows my mind to even think about it because you know, with us, if we have just one little thing, this, she said this about me, I'm done with her. Yeah, how many times have you heard that? The little, little squabbles. Or, man, they treated me. I didn't get an invite to the party. I'm not inviting them to my party. 
here we have Stephen on his, while he's having stones hurled at his head, and he's asking the Lord not hold that sin against them. Wow. We learn several lessons from these famous last words and from the life of Stephen. We see here that the core of Christian commitment really is service. Stephen is introduced to us in the first part of Acts as a a servant. His job was not glorious. He waited on the widows and the orphans. That was the job that the apostles had asked him to do so they could keep teaching and preaching the word. He obviously was a capable leader and a gifted theologian and a good preacher. But he didn't say, I'm going to need a little bit more to do with my gifts. This is a little below me. No, you know, you know, Peter, James, John, I need to do something else. That wasn't his attitude. No, he said, it's not about me. If, if this is how I can serve the body of Christ, I will gladly do it. And that service, though seemingly insignificant, had a huge influence on the church. Seeing his sacrifice, not only did he help preserve church unity, his service led to the conversion of some of the chief antagonists in the community, the religious priest, and would end up leading the, to the conversion of the chief antagonist, who would be the Apostle Paul. Francis Schaeffer, the great writer, said, the love of the church is the church's most effective apologetic. And that is our desire at this church, is to be categorized by our service. By our service to each other, and then our service to our community. You know, one of the things that we have not announced yet, but uh, we, we receive the reward, and this is one that I, you know, we really cherish. We're on how many years in a row now, Rachel? Like four or five years in a row now that we have been named the Partners in Education of the Year for Weatherby Elementary as a church. So that is something we are proud of. Let's give ourselves a hand. That's something great. Yes. And that's through the things that we, the volunteerism that we do here at Weatherby Elementary. And we want to serve our community how we can. And we also want people to feel the, 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 the spirit and the welcomeness as they come into our body of faith here on Sunday mornings. You know, the Roman Emperor Julian, one of the fiercest persecutors of the early Christians, the Christians affectionately named him Julian the Apostate, admitted and discussed that these infernal Galileans feed our poor in addition to their own. <laughs> so the Roman Emperor saying, these Galileans, he's calling you know, Christians, that was one of the early names for Christians because Jesus was from Galilee, so they would call them Galileans. They're not only feeding their poor, but they're feeding our poor too, like it was something terrible that, that they were doing. Historian Eberhard Arnold says, the most astounding to the outside observer was the extent to which poverty was overcome in the vicinity of the communities. Christians spent more money in the streets than followers of other religions spent in their temples. You know, I've stated this before, but in the early days of, of our nation, most of the hospitals in our country were founded by religious communities that banded together to make the hospitals that we have today. Even a lot of the large hospital groups that we have today can all trace their founding back to People, the Christians, caring for the sick, caring for the poor, caring for the widows. 
You know, we have a lot of you who do serve in our community, and I am thankful for you. We have others who do a lot in our church, and our church could not operate without those who serve each and every week. I thank you to those who, who serve in our church. But there are some who might have the attitude that it is beneath me. It is beneath me to serve. That is not a part of my, my gifting. I am not a servant. Well, Stephen could have had that same attitude of saying, serving tables and taking care of other people, that's below me. You see, I'm a great orator, I'm a great speaker, and that's what I need to be doing, but he didn't. Why? Because the heart of a Christian is one who serves. I can assure you that washing feet was below Jesus. I know that washing the dirty, nasty disciples' feet was below Jesus. But he did it as an act of service. We should all make room in our lives, particularly here in church, to do the things that we are not necessarily thrilled to do so that we maintain the role and the heart disposition of that as a servant. We are a society that lives to be served instead of living to serve. We are a society that lives to be served instead of living to serve. And if you're not served well enough, you're going out on Yelp or Google or wherever to tell how bad it is. We laugh because we know it's true. I've done it. I'm guilty of it as well. So we learn that the core of Christian commitment, it, it is service. That's number one. Number two we learn from Stephen is nothing is more important than the Word of God. There is nothing more important than that. For the apostles to have filled up their schedules, even with something good like taking care of the poor, the sick, and the widows, would have been, at this point, it would have been a disservice because the church's greatest need is the Word of God. It's hearing the Word of God. It's applying the Word of God because it is the Word of God that changes the man and woman of God. Nothing else will do that. So in chapter 7, Stephen is going to preach the longest recorded sermon in Acts. And where did he get the knowledge about the word of God? From the apostles he heard teach it. That's where he learned. There was no written word back then. There was no Bible that people could pick up and read. There was no YouVersion app. It was all auditory. The only way that Stephen heard it was by hearing it from Peter, James, and John. That was the only way. So Stephen prioritized it by freeing them up to do it, but he also prioritized it by learning. Not only was, I'm sure was he sitting there ser serving, but he was also learning all he could. So here's my question for you. When's the last time you made a concerted effort to say, I'm going to learn more about God's word. I'm going to learn more about my faith. You know, it may be that you're going to have a conversation tomorrow in the office and someone's going to ask you, why are you a Christian? Have you even ever thought about what your response would be? Do you even know enough about God's word to even answer that question? To defend why you follow this faith? It is not enough for me to prioritize teaching it. You all need to also prioritize learning it. We need to all have that desire to learn God's word, not just for the sake of knowledge, but for the sake of application 
of how it's going to change our lives and our families. Because like Stephen, you're going to be called on to give answers in places where I'm not going to be present. Maybe you don't have a Bible readily available to you, and you need to have that in your heart as to why you're a follower of Christ. Have it in your heart and mind, ready, filled with Scripture. The Holy Spirit can bring things to your memory, but only things you have already committed to memory. He can't fire bullets if you don't have them stocked in your arsenal. That's the truth. The only way we get that is by studying God's Word. Number two, we see nothing is more important than God's Word. Than number three, God does His greatest work through ordinary people. Stephen preaches the longest sermon in the book of Acts with the most powerful effect, which is the conversion of Saul. Why? What is the Holy Spirit trying to show us through this? He's trying to show us that ordinary people filled with the Holy Spirit can do extraordinary things. Extraordinary things. John 16, 7, Jesus is telling his disciples that it would be better that he went away because when he goes away, the Holy Spirit will come. He said, you're here with me now, but I'm here with only the 12 of you. When the Spirit comes, the Spirit will come upon all who are followers of Christ. All of those who claim the name of Christ have the work of the Holy Spirit in you. We as believers, we take for granted the work of the Spirit every moment of every day in our society. As you roll, you know, one of the things that's going to be terrible about when we as believers go to heaven to be with our Lord is the restraining act of the Spirit from this earth. We do not realize how much the Spirit works in our world to hold back evil, to work in our lives, to change us for, for goodness and for holiness. Yet Jesus said the power of the Holy Spirit at work in ordinary believers will be greater than the presence of Jesus right here beside us. And you see that in Stephen. You see that in his life. So God does his greatest work through ordinary people. He's looking for Who's going to be the next Stephen? Who's going to be the person who's going to step up and say, my life is going to be one categorized by service and dedication to the word and telling others about their wonderful Lord and Savior. That next Stephen could be sitting right here this morning. You never know. God does his greatest work through ordinary people. Number four, Christians are a befuddling contradiction to the world. When's the last time you heard the word befuddling? I'm bringing that back today. Befuddling. Christians are a befuddling contradiction to the world. We don't use that word enough. Stephen's life is a contradiction to everyone. He is so kind and gracious and servant-like that he wins the hearts of the antagonist priests, yet his rebuke is so stinging it makes another group of religious leaders want to kill him. It's such, a, it's such a dichotomy. It's so weird. Stephen looks at people and says, you're stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart. And then they're stoning him. And the words out of his mouth are, God, do not hold this sin against them. It's just this crazy contradiction as we look here in Scripture. But what we know is that Stephen is doing what Jesus told him to do, and that is to speak truth 
and grace. Grace and truth is the Christian formula. And it's, and it's the, the world most hates you when you speak both. Because you see, speaking just truth is fundamentalism and easy to write off. Grace without truth is just sentimentality with no power. It comes with grace and truth. The world will hate you no matter how much grace you have when you speak both grace and truth. The greatest things that we can do for people is to tell them the truth of God's word in a heart disposition of grace. Number five, sometimes God's will for us, and this is going to sound crazy in our world, is martyrdom. Stephen did everything right and he ended up dead. What happened? I can't tell you what happened, but, I, but scripture says this, and we've looked at this. They laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And I get chills thinking about this. Saul was watching, and he was watching as every stone was smashed into the face of Stephen, and his body was mangled into a bloody heap. Saul heard Stephen's pleas with God to forgive his persecutors, and he saw the glory of God reflected on Stephen's face, and something happened that day in Saul's heart that he never got over, that he never forgot. Stephen's blood going into the ground was the seed of the Apostle Paul's face. Stephen's most effective contribution to the kingdom of God came through his martyrdom. Paul was not converted by seeing Stephen delivered because Stephen wasn't delivered. So many times we pray for deliverance through whatever ailment or whatever struggle that we are going through. But Paul was converted seeing Jesus or seeing Stephen full of the Holy Spirit testify to Jesus' glory in the midst of pain. So many times our prayers are, God, take this sickness away from my body. God, give me this, or take away that, or get me through this struggle, when really our heart's prayer should be, God, through this pain, through this difficulty, accomplish in my life what you're trying to teach me and allow your name to get glory. It's a, it's a different mindset. It's a different way of thinking for us. Because we want the path of least resistance. But that's not always the case. You see that the sermons you preach through your, your, your life and through your words are the pain, the sermons through pain are louder than the ones you preach through your blessing. I'm going to say that again. The sermons you preach through your pain are louder than the ones you preach through your blessing. From start to finish, Stephen's life screams that it's not about me. It's not about me. My life is not about me, not about my self-actualization or getting respect that I deserve. It's about serving others. It's about loving those in the world around me. It's not about me obtaining blessing and walking in prosperity, but about directing people's attention toward Jesus. We as followers of Christ are, should be constantly saying, it's not about me, 
It's about my Savior. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. I am the way I am because of a Jesus who died upon a cross to save me from my sins. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. So what is it all about for you in your life? What is it all about? Are you all about hitting that next ladder at work? Is it all about having your kids perform the way that you want them to perform? Is it about that next toy or that next experience that you can obtain? What is it all about for you? Where did Stephen get this kind of courage and selflessness? Where did this come from? We go back to the passage. When we look up into heaven, what did he see? He saw Jesus stretching out his nail-pierced hands to receive him. Jesus, the Lord of the universe, had given up his life for us. And then Stephen prayed, Father, forgive them. Where did he hear that from? We went over that like four weeks ago. He heard that from Christ on the cross. He heard those same words. Stephen is becoming to others what Jesus had been to him. Those who believe the gospel and behold the gospel become like the gospel. And he includes an odd little detail in his vision here at the end. He said, I see Jesus standing. I see Jesus standing. Every other place in the New Testament talks about Jesus at the throne of God, and it uses the words sitting at the right hand of God. This is the only place in the New Testament that you find that it is referred to as Jesus standing next to God. Why is he standing? We can say several things here. We can say an affirmation. All the religious leaders are calling Stephen a heretic, but Jesus stands up at God's throne and he says, He's mine. He's one of my followers. They call him a heretic, a fool, but God the Father, he's mine. He's mine. Earth was condemning him, but heaven was commending him. Earth was rejecting him, but heaven was receiving him. And though it looked like his life was in the hands of the devil, he was actually in the hands of God, who was overruling all of this for good. Jesus was in charge of it all. Stephen didn't know it, but watching him die was the one who would become the greatest evangelist the world would ever know. And God was using his death to bring this young man to faith. This young man named Paul would take the gospel message to all of the known Roman world and eventually from his ministry the rest of Europe. Christianity today in America traces its roots back to the Apostle Paul, who is standing here this day, watching this horrific act of stoning. You see, we may be, I know there are many of us in here today who are suffering. You're suffering, you're struggling, you're tired. You've had a long, weary week at work, and you're like, oh, Monday's coming, and I don't want to go. I feel your pain. 
I'm there with you. I don't want to, I don't want to open my inbox on Monday morning and start responding to emails. It's funny how you somehow find ways to avoid those things that you don't want to do until they pile up. Monday's coming. What we need to see is that even in the most horrific things in our life, God is in control. God is there. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Just like he used the overturned evil plans of the devil to work in a mighty way in the early church here in this story. Just like he took Stephen's martyrdom and used it to produce the greatest Christian missionary, Paul. Just like he used the evil plans of Joseph's brothers at the end of Genesis. When Joseph said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He is using your suffering for the same thing. You need to see him standing in love and victory at the right hand of God the Father. The degree to which you understand Jesus' love and victory is the degree to which you will be able to endure suffering well. God is victorious. As we just celebrated a couple weeks ago, we do not serve a dead God. We do not serve a God who was made by human hands. We serve a God who rose from the grave, who ascended to heaven, and is at the right hand of the throne of God this morning. Doesn't that give you confidence as you leave this room? Doesn't it? Am I the only one here this morning? Does this give you guys confidence to know that our God is in control even in our worst circumstances? Man. One more thing I'll leave you with. The name Stephen, it means crown in Greek. And in Greece, crowns were given to those who overcame. Don't miss this. Stephen overcame the world not by experiencing what the world, what we would typically call blessing, but by dying faithful to Jesus when his eyes were fixed upon the risen Christ. We want to overcome the world, don't we? That's our desire. How do we overcome the world? By serving and confessing that this life is not about us. That's something we've got to remember because we are such a self-absorbed people. This world is not about us. We have to submit to obedience, no matter the cost. Amen.